0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Success 101 podcast. As always, this is your host, Jared Warren, and we are taking a little bit of a different turn today on the Success 101 podcast as I dive into the personal conversation I had with my dear friend, Joy Cruz, this past week. As you will hear, today's episode is touching and sensitive while also incredibly informative around the issue of cancer and primarily childhood cancer and I think this is a real subject of avoidance. I think most people out there know cancer is an unbelievably heartbreaking issue for people to go through, both directly and indirectly. I think we know, without hearing a ton of medical statistics, that the diagnosis of people with cancer out there is incredibly large, but it is a subject of avoidance. People don't want to hear about children with cancer or adults dying of cancer But it is real. And I want you guys to hear me loud and clear on this. If we're not talking about this message, you will very likely, just based on the statistics, guys, you will very likely have someone who you love or care about who is directly faced with cancer or their children are faced with cancer, or you yourself will have to deal with this crippling issue. And if we always avoid and we don't listen to the facts about cancer and how to deal with cancer, I'm fully convinced that we will not be prepared When the day comes for us to speak truth and wisdom and love into those who we love that are going through this or even know how to deal with it ourselves. I'm incredibly eager to get this message out to you guys today of what they had to deal with, with Connor's cancer, how they fought through it like champions and how Connor fought through it like a champion from four to eight years old and what we can do for those of us around us who may be faced with cancer in the future or when we ourselves are faced with cancer in order to bear the load and go through this just as the Cruz family did. I want to share a few facts with you guys that I found were just amazing. Most people out there know or have heard that childhood cancer research is vastly and consistently underfunded. But you may not have known that childhood cancer is the leading cause of death by disease in children under the age of 15 in the U.S. And 1 in 285 children in the U.S. will be diagnosed with cancer by the time they are 20 years old. 1 in 285. So think about that, guys. Think about 285 people that you know who have children, and we have to come to grips with the fact that one of those children, statistically, who you know well in your life will be diagnosed with cancer before they're 20 years old. Every day, approximately 250 kids around the world will die from cancer. 91,000 kids will lose their life to cancer every year. And we're not even talking about the adults here, guys. This is just the childhood cancer facts. But the effects of the disease and the illness don't always stop when the cancer is cured. Two-thirds of childhood cancer patients will have long-lasting chronic conditions from the treatment. The chemo, the radiation, the medication that they have to take. And many times it's not just one form of cancer that children or adults are affected with. It's often made up of dozens of types and countless subtypes. What I hope comes through loud and clear in this message today for you guys is not only ways to deal and cope with the cancer, but how to fight like a champion if you are ever faced with this situation. Unfortunately, the ratios are what they are and they're incredibly high. Unfortunately, childhood cancer is very underfunded, but that's why I want to bring this message to you guys today so that we can all be more aware of what our children and even our adults are dealing with out there so that you are better equipped in the future should you find yourself in the same position. As you will hear in our story today, Joy's book, Hope Transformed, is the full story, the incredible story that the Cruz family went through and how they held on to their hope and their faith during that time to get them through even to today in 2017, where the legacy and memory of Connor Cruz lives on. This is the most important podcast that I've ever released on the Success 101 podcast for obvious reasons, and I am so grateful and privileged to know this incredible family and have the chance to release this for you guys today. So without any delay, this is my conversation with my good friend, Joy Cruz. Joy, welcome on the show. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you, Jared. Nice and sunny day here in Texas.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Can't ask for anything more. And this is obviously not our typical Success 101 podcast. I obviously know you and your family now. And as I'd mentioned in the introduction, I had a chance to meet Connor once. One time you guys were down in Houston. You didn't know me then but I'd heard about you guys through our organization and the story of what you guys were journeying through. And I got a chance to see him laughing and playing. And now I know you guys and I know Tate, but still my story, as many people out there, majority of the people listening to this, the story is going to be from afar. And what I want to do today is just really bring the listeners awareness of what childhood cancer is. How do we cope with it? How do we deal with it as parents or friends of other parents? And just have an awareness of what kids are dealing with on into adults dealing with cancer as well why don't we first start though if you wouldn't mind just tell me since our story the listeners your story is going to be from afar tell us about connor from a mother's perspective up until the time that you guys found out that he was uh, that he had cancer
1: Connor was always uh, the silly kid and joking around and full of life. I think everybody would probably describe him that way. And me, as a mother at the time, I had three children leading up to his diagnosis. Uh, Mackenzie was older than Connor, and then Connor, and then Carson followed closely behind Connor. They were like Irish twins. Then uh, by the time of his diagnosis, I was pregnant with our fourth child, Mason. So I was used to chaotic, you know, lifestyle, bunch of kids running around. Um, And I love that I had four siblings. so I love the big family. It was great. And it was just really a joy to be their parent at that age when they're so young. Uh, Connor was diagnosed, you know, at the age of four. So it was, um, I guess I had a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and then a three-year-old. So it was wow. just a fun, busy household. And Connor was like easy to parent. Uh, my first two kids were easy. And like, as I continued to have them, they got harder. <laughs> so he was <laughs> he was so easy and jovial. And um, he was kind of like the life of the party. Whenever he was, if he'd come home from camp, like a little day camp, how was it? It was awesome, mom. It was so much fun.
0: Huge smile from what I remember of every picture yeah. I ever saw of him.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: And Take us up to the point where you guys started realizing something just wasn't right. I mean, I'm sure at first, I'm kind of speaking for you here, but I'm sure at first you guys thought, hey, maybe it's just a... Kid complaining, young kid complaining. We all have, you know, three daughters, my own, you know, there's just times where they just complain about stuff. And, you know, but I'm sure at some point you said, okay, this is something that's real. What were the signs? What was he going through? And what did you guys later uh, realize looking back on it that, hey, this has kind of been happening for a little while?
1: He had um, probably over like the course of three months, like randomly, he'd have a stomach ache. And, you know, my daughter was older. She'd had stomach aches and I just didn't think much about it. And it would go away. And then right before diagnosis, I noticed he was just a little bit more lethargic and the stomach ache persisted. It didn't go away. It stayed for a few days. And we took him to like the emergency room and they ran a lot of tests and said, you know what? It's probably just a virus. I'm like, okay. And then two days continue. I mean, so now he's had it for about a week and we called our pediatrician. She goes, you know what? If he's not better by Sunday, by tomorrow, bring him the emergency room at Children's Medical Center. And we'll have them take a look there. And so this
0: was back. persistent, like persistent stomachache. Obviously, if you guys take in the emergency room the first time and then now it's a week later and he still has it. It's yeah. not just like, hey, yeah. this is something that's going away anytime soon.
1: Yes, it did persist the next day. We took him in and no parent cancer never crosses their mind. I've gotten to know several other parents who've gone through this journey of Connor's cancer or other childhood cancers. And you go to the doctor and you have no idea. That does not cross your mind. They they sure. uh, eventually they he had a fever, I think, at that time, a low grade fever. And they said, well, let's do an x-ray, a chest x-ray. So then they saw what they thought was maybe they thought it was possibly pneumonia because it looked like some spots at the, at the top of the lungs, which was kind of strange because it would be at the bottom of the lungs for pneumonia. But it, I thought he had appendicitis when we took him in because my appendix burst when I was seven and the, doc- the doctors kept misdiagnosing it so that it burst. So I was convinced he had appendicitis. And then they said, probably pneumonia. I'm like, okay, pneumonia, appendicitis, we can deal with, you know, either of those. And so they said, let's run a CAT scan and get a better picture of what's going on in there. The CAT scan tech, he noticed that there was something, he was catching the tip of something. So he ended up doing a full abdominal scan. And Tate said, The CAT scan tech, he like he had the computer facing straight where Tate could see it. And all of a sudden he took the screen and he pulled it away so Tate couldn't see it. Wow. And he said that was really the first clue that, hmm, this might be something worse than we thought. So then we go into the waiting room with Connor, but Tate didn't share that with me. So I'm still kind of in la la land, like, okay, you know, whatever, we'll get through this pneumonia or whatever. Sure. And then they came in and they said, uh, we're pretty sure that what your son has is called neuroblastoma. And we're like, well, what's neuroblastoma? And they said, it's cancer. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, they have to be wrong. I mean, he has a stomachache. This isn't cancer. So then they're giving us kind of a breakdown of what they feel that it is. So they continue to say most likely it's stage four neuroblastoma. It usually is by the time kids are diagnosed, but it's a cancer that's starts in the adrenal glands. And by the time they're diagnosed, it's usually a tumor in the bones and in the bone marrow. Kids, usually they give them a 30% chance to survive five years um, once they've reached uh, remission. At that point, you know, they like he's in the hospital and we start just making plans as best we can. Like, how are we going to do this? With.
0: I hate to cut you off there. Let's step back for just a second, because I know this is your story and you lived it out. I'm sure for some people hearing that out there, they would have the same feeling you did, which is, you know, I heard you laugh whenever you said that. It's like, yeah, right. Like, it's not mm-hmm. cancer. You didn't go in there thinking it was cancer. Yeah. Somebody says it's cancer and it's like, uh, sure. Like, look again, you <laughs> know, most yeah, people aren't exactly. going to think that. At some point, though, you have to start letting it settle in. And, you know, you'd mentioned the neuroblastoma starts in the adrenals. For so many of my listeners out there on some of my health episodes, I talk a lot about the adrenals just dealing with stress. They generate cortisol, they generate adrenaline, and they just, they regulate a lot of the things that are going on. You sit right up on top of the kidneys, right? And the very first time, I can't remember when it was, that I heard that the adrenals are also where, that's where neuroblastoma comes from. And I thought, man, that's, I hadn't heard that one before. And also heard that neuroblastoma for children is one of the more common types.
1: You're correct. It's the third most common behind is leukemia, brain tumors and then neuroblastoma.
0: And I was surprised by that because Connor is the first person in my life that I've ever heard about having neuroblastoma and I kid you not if I didn't know you guys and your family, I just don't know that I would ever have maybe I would have heard of it but I just wouldn't have picked up on it. Why is it that it's so common? For children, the third most common, as you said, and there's just such a lack of of hearing about it out there, a lack of understanding about it out there.
1: Honestly, Jared, I think it's just a topic that no one wants to hear or to talk about. Right. And so the awareness is raised, but honestly, before Connor had cancer... If I would see like St. Jude's talking about childhood cancer or a sad story about a kid with cancer, I would change the channel.
0: Yeah, you turn it off.
1: I don't want to hear about kids suffering with childhood cancer. And so you don't don't go to the next step where you're not gaining awareness. You don't have the understanding of what's going out there and what these kids are facing. And actually, we can all do things to help if we would just take the time to educate ourselves and learn about it and become aware of the situation.
0: And I've also heard about neuroblastoma since I have heard a few other things about it, but some people have said that it's, you know, it's it's one of the most common ones, as you just confirmed. It's also one of the ones that some of the neuroblastoma types out there are very easily curable, but many of them, you just need to throw everything at it and just hope and pray that it's going to do something because maybe that's just the stage that it's in at that point. But you said his was already at stage four, and I believe you said this was when he was four years years old. Did they know how long possibly that it had been going on before you guys caught it through his stomach ache?
1: So what they feel, and what you said is exactly correct about sometimes neuroblastoma is easier to beat than others. They find if a child gets it before the age of 18 months, their prognosis is a lot better. If you get it after the age of 18 months, you're going to get those statistics like Connor got. And they're almost always at a stage four uh, if they're diagnosed after 18 months old. And so what they find is some of these tumors may have started growing in utero or it was there and then something sparked within Connor and then it started growing or something could have just sparked it. They call neuroblastoma kind of like the perfect storm, kind of like a little per- perfect genetic storm, like all these things kind of have to happen for it to start growing. But because I believe this is the number one cancer in infants, because some are born with it, that it could have started as an infant and was just kind of stagnant in his body, and then something just took off. They don't know what situation he was in, you know, did it was he born with it? And then something, you know, sparked it or did the perfect storm happen, you know, at the age of four and it took off.
0: Wow. So fascinating. Just, I mean, and as a parent now myself, I mean, obviously I didn't have any idea back whenever I heard about y'all's journey and Connor mm-hmm. and, you know, you just, like you said, you have TV on and something comes up about kids cancer before you had a child with cancer and you change the channel. You still want to hear about it. But then after you have that, it affects you so much more. So at some point you guys had to let that news settle in that, Hey, this is real. This is happening. What in the world do we do? What were the first steps that you guys were recommended to start immediately doing just to try to, you know, just get on top of this as much as you could?
1: Well, the first night I spent the night with Connor and then the next day I had a sonogram that, you know, that four month sonogram with my son Mason all night. I'm just kind of wrestling with telling myself this is real you know, this is real because you, you fall asleep shortly and then you wake up and you're like, this is a dream. And then you wake up and you're in a hospital room. You're like, okay, it's not a dream. This is real. So I think, I think it, takes a, it took a few days for it to sink in. One good thing that I like the doctors did was they didn't give us the whole protocol that he would be facing up front. They just gave us a little bit at a time. Kind of like, okay, this is what to expect for the first, you know, couple months. You we're going to put in a central line because these kids with neuroblastoma eventually go to a bone marrow transplant. Um, it's autologous. It's their own bone marrow. So you need in a central line. And then they go, in most hospitals, they would have debulked the tumor or tried to remove it. But with Connor, they needed to do chemotherapy to try to shrink it. So they, our first line of defense is going to be chemotherapy. It was good for us to just take off a little bit at a time. So I would recommend anybody who's going through a prognosis like this or a major illness, just take off what you can chew. Because if you look all the way down to all the, you know, all the treatments you're going to have to do, you'll be really overwhelmed and it's going to be, you're going to be, I think, paralyzed.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting because I bet in the moment, if they had said, Hey, we're only giving you the first little snippet of this, you would have been begging for that information, but it would not have been good for you. So that's very wise to uh, give that information. Was it ever, and just forgive me for not really knowing here, but was it ever an issue in y'all's mind where you're like, hey, second opinion here. This is not like, this can't be happening. We've got to go get a second opinion. It sounds like you guys took that advice, let it sink in a little bit and then had to start immediately just going with that reality.
1: Yeah. You know, when they, they showed us the scans and they they show you the tumor, so you're pretty, con- you, you know that it's there, but we did uh, actually talk to a couple other doctors, like, do we need to go somewhere else to have him treated? Or can we stay here at Children's Medical Center locally? What they said was all these hospitals follow the Children's Oncology Group protocol. So if we went to St. Jude's, they would follow the same protocol as Dallas, as they do at Children's Hospital Philadelphia. And So their advice was stay home. You've already got two kids at home, about to have Mason. You don't need to be traveling all over the country. So we did get a second opinion in, in that way, but just it was pretty evident that it was neuroblastoma based on the scans because it was big.
0: Well, so I i mean, it's just it's one thing to have a child with cancer, obviously. I mean, until, like I said, until you're there, you can't put yourself in those shoes. And yeah. it's another thing to have children, small children at home, four months pregnant with another child and a four year old dealing with this. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I have no idea how you guys got through that. So take us through as much as you want to share with the rest of the journey once treatment started, once you guys started living this with this new reality of schedule changes and changes in probably appearance very quickly, I would imagine from what you knew as your little boy.
1: Yes. Then I mean, we, the best advice that the doctors gave also was to simplify, like we cut kind of everything out, but dealing, you know, with Connor, like taking care of the basic needs of our kids and then Connor, cause this treatment would last four years for us. So he started out with rounds of chemotherapy to shrink the tumor, hopefully, so it would be easy to remove. So it's kind of typical one week on, and then you'd have two weeks in between, and then it would allow your blood, you know, your red blood count, your platelets, and your white cells to recover, and then you hit it again. So Connor was a unique case in that his tumor was you know, near the liver and the kidney, and they call it you know, the high real estate area. And so it was going to be hard to remove it surgically. So we did have advice from Dallas. Let's go on to that bone marrow transplant phase. And they did two of them. Wow. Um, so, so anyway. You mentioned, yeah.
0: So that was a four year process for you guys when you started really getting into the bone marrow stuff, which I know that's super yeah. delicate, super intensive. How far into it were you guys? How old was he at that point?
1: So he had just turned five and we had his first one in November. And then the second one started in February. He was in the hospital each time about 30 days, and they just give such high doses of chemotherapy that it kills the cancer, but then it kills your bone marrow also. And at that point, once they know that the chemotherapy has left your body, then they'll give you back your own bone marrow, and then you just have to wait until your bone marrow starts producing again. And it's that time when your bone marrow isn't working yet. When you're not creating, you know, red blood cells, platelets and white blood cells, that you can get an infection that can kill you. Like the common cold can kill him. So he was in isolation. And probably the most heartbreaking thing for me was one day he was in there and he was sad. And I mean, there could have been many reasons why he was sad. You know, I'm stuck in here and I don't feel good. And I said, what's wrong, Connor? And he said, I miss my brother. I miss (laughs) Carson. And I'm like, so Carson was a year younger. And he was too young to come in the bone marrow transplant uh, unit. And so we had uh, Carson come up uh, to the hospital and outside of Connor's hospital room in the bone marrow unit, uh, there's a long hallway. And at the end of the hallway is a door, you know, where people would come in and out and there was a window in the door. So we brought Carson up there and he And we brought Connor up on one side and we brought Carson up on the other and they just looked at each other. And then one of them put their hand up on the window, He put his hand up on the other side and they just looked at each other. And, you know, it's like when you're in a prison cell, you know, when people, you know, touch the hands through the glass. And I'm like, that was just powerful just to see them. They can't even touch each other. You know, they have to look at each other through the glass. And you realize what, how hard it was for Connor who just wanted to be a normal kid to be stuck in there for 30 days. That just really brought it home to me how hard it was. I mean, not only is he fighting for his life and feeling pretty crummy, but he's got to deal with all the the emotional problems that come with it too.
0: Right. And for a kid that age that really doesn't understand what's going on, I mean, it's hard enough for adults, right, that have to deal with confinement or cancer, staying in a hospital. I mean, it's, just, it's depressing. But for yeah. a child that doesn't know I'm sure there was a lot of why, why do we have to stay here? Why am I here? Why are they doing this? And I, I know for a mom and dad, that's got to be just almost torture. Yeah. Joy, what? I'm just curious. I know there's parents out there that probably have a ton of questions who are either, like I said, going through this, or they've watched people go through this, or may go through this at some point down the road and just want to be prepared. Cancer just seems so prevalent today's society. What would you tell parents about, you know, what should you tell your child? How much should you tell your child? And based on your experience, I know your experience is your experience, right? It's not everyone's experience, but how might they react? And what do you do to help them cope? All of those things during those times when you're going through that?
1: Well, and a lot of that depends on the age of the kid and their um, ability to comprehend. With Connor, we kept it pretty simple because he was four, and he didn't understand uh, how the medicine he was taking made him feel worse Then he actually felt, you know, the chemotherapy was making him throw up and making him feel bad. And so he had just seen that movie, The Incredibles. And at the end of the movie, you know, the good guys and the bad guys, The Incredibles, they're duking it out. And, you know, and then at the end, The Incredibles won. But then the smoke clears and you see the city is demolished. And we said, so, Connor, what's happening is the chemotherapy is like The Incredibles. And they're going in and they're killing the cancer and they're shooting at it and, you know, fighting and kicking it and beating it down. But when it kills the bad guys, it's also going to kill some good guys. It's going to kill, you know, your red blood count, your platelets, just things inside you that are good. And that's what's going to make you feel crummy. It's kind of like that scene in The Incredibles. It's all kind of shot down and it's a mess. And that's what happened to your body. But you just have to believe that The Incredibles are going to win and kind of suffer through it. But it'll be good, you know, eventually. Right. The good guys are going to win, but you're just going to have to feel kind of crummy. And he was a kid. He didn't, thank goodness, he didn't ask why much. He just took it, you know. I mean, initially he had questions and he hated getting, you know, finger pokes and giving blood, I mean, getting blood transfusions, but he eventually just took it and rolled with it. I, I think that's the magical thing about kids. They adapt and adjust and roll with it so much better than adults do.
0: Right. right, And they take cues from their parents as well. I mean, yeah. so you guys, I know just from, from speaking with you, I mean, you guys had to be strong and just like the story you just gave with The Incredibles. I mean, I'm sure there's countless stories of that where you guys had to be super strong in front of him and not let your own emotions and struggles and just time together and marriage and time with kids, you know, or lack of time with your other kids. I mean, it's I'm just sure that was incredibly hard not to mention watching your son go through that.
1: Yeah. We tried to... In- he never really understood the gravity of cancer and we wanted it to be that way. Yeah. It was funny. And on all of our kids, we didn't really let them know the gravity of it. So we were in the hospital one time and there's another kid and he's got his little cold hooked up to chemotherapy and here's Connor with his and they start talking to each other and the other kid had cancer and Mackenzie goes, yeah, Connor's got cancer and a cold, you know, like <laughs> cancer and a cold. It's kind of the same thing, right? right? Right. That's kind of how they viewed it. And, also, we just didn't try, we try not to treat him any differently. Like, you know, let's keep going to soccer when you feel like you can go, let's, let's go to baseball when you feel like you can, and we're going to keep doing family vacations. And some kids, some families do, um, kind of sequester them in their home because their white counts might be lower in between rounds of, of, chemotherapy, but we just found that wasn't good for his psyche. He needed to be out. He needed to see friends. He needed you know, and if he got a cold we'll deal with that. If he got an infection, we'll deal with that. But for his own mindset, we needed to keep rolling as a family, you know, keep doing the things you normally do to make him feel normal. And that I think really helped him. When we went to New York to see a doctor, there was a treatment that we wanted to do up there. The doctor met Connor for the first time and said, where's the sick kid? You know, you would have no idea he was a sick kid when he walked in and that's how he wanted it. And that's how we wanted it. You know, we didn't want him to they walk around going, oh, I'm a sick kid. I'm a, I'm a kid with cancer, you know, and yeah. so that's advice I would give too. just continue to be as normal as you can and make it a normal environment for them. Keep doing the things that your family does and and don't, I mean, you have to treat them differently because you're giving them care, but don't treat them like they're weak or don't be sad for them or, you know, pity them. Uh, yeah, which is incredibly them.
0: hard to do, I'm sure. But the the mindset of the parents, oftentimes, you know, they're again, the kids are going to take cues from the parents and your mindset's going to determine- their mindset on some levels.
1: I was gonna say sometimes the doctors would give us a talking to because they felt like we were in denial when they would tell us how severe the situation was. And I'm like, you know what? When I go home to my room, I can cry, but in front of him, I'm like, that's okay. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And if it works one out of 10 times, it's going to work one out of 10 times for you, Connor. You're going to be that one kid. So I think they would probably think sometimes we were dangerously optimistic and they were worried about, we didn't fully understand it, but I would rather be optimistic for my kid and not let him know the gravity of it.
0: Right. And before we get on to just kind of the last year of Connor's life and how you guys, you know, transitioned into maybe some of the the harder times before you lost him, what did you and Tate do to keep a family running, a marriage running, a business running? I mean, I know it was chaos during that time. Tate's incredibly successful at what he was doing and running a business at that time. You've got other children, as we've already mentioned, and then, and then this. And it's you know, four years weighing on you, what, I mean, I've heard so many statistics about not only marriages who struggle through losing children, but even up before that point, just the the emotional toll that must've been taken on you guys. How did you guys best deal with it? So you've answered how you minimized things for him or made it a non-issue for him, but what about the rest of life that has to keep going? Because your other children had needs as well. You guys had needs as a family What did you guys do and what would you tell people out there maybe going through a similar situation to help cope with that?
1: Well, I would say, first of all, it's okay to get help. We Me having the three other kids at home, we had help from family members, our church helped us, the school helped us, neighbors helped us. And at first it was a little uncomfortable letting them help so much, but then you quickly realize there's no way you can get through this without help. Right. And I do know some families that struggled with that and tried to do it all on their own. And I think that just puts so much more stress on yourself than you need. We had people spending the night with Connor at the hospital and lucky for us. He loved having like cousin Mitch to spend the night with him. (laughs) You know, I'm "I'm sure he gets tired of me and Tate. And so cousin Lexi would spend the night with him and it was just fun for him. Like we literally had a calendar of different people when he was in the transplant unit you know, spending the night with him because it was, you know, a month each time. I had an infant at home. I was trying to, you know, take care of him and I'd only get to see him at night. So it was it was nice when somebody else would spend the night so I could see the baby. Right. Yeah, but so don't be afraid to ask for help or people are offering it, take it. And honestly, our faith, I mean, the peace and the comfort and just the strength of God, honestly, that was the glue that held us together during the difficult times is just having our Lord to fall on. I just, I can't say we had, we relied on so many friends and family, you know, and our Lord. I think that's really the glue that held us together in the midst of everything.
0: Yeah, it's so huge. And I know just hearing stories of those people who you just mentioned, who I know personally now, you know, in this story and just just picturing them at younger ages, of course, being with him. And I can't imagine how much it was drawing your family closer, but then also watching people around you help and watching just Your faith grow. I know Tate's talked about that many times before, and I know Tate has shared stories as well, where he, instead of running a full day in his practice, he would try to get as much done in a uh, that you should have been doing in a full day. He would try to get that done by noon, so that he could be there in the afternoons.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know he often felt conflicted because he had this responsibility of running the office, and then about wanting to be there with his son. And so, you know, a lot of time, thankfully. We had, you know, my mom, my aunt and other help back home with the other kids that it took some of the pressure off him that, hey, I got Connor, you do what you need to do. You come and see him when you're done. But we got the other kids taken care of. I got Connor. You I think that took some of the pressure off of him. So he could do that. He could do his half day and then come see Connor. But I will say the office, the people there were so incredibly wonderful. The way they picked up the slack. They fed us at the ho- when we were in the hospital. Tate's office brought us food every day when we were in the hospital at the hospital, and then our Sunday school class brought us food at home. So we would have two meals being delivered: the hospital one for the people at home, and just them taking up the slack. I don't even know how many extra hours they worked so Tate could get out of the office by noon. You know, so we, we were very fortunate um, to have the kind of support we had in all areas.
0: Which is why it's so important what you said to make sure you ask for help, because I think most people tend to think this is my child. This is our family. We're not going to put our burdens on other people. And then you just get to a point, like you said, where you realize this can't work just with us doing this. Yeah. Joy, you've talked about thriving emotionally through this. And I'd love to hear before we get out of just that topic as well. I'd love to just hear some of your as a mom, right, as a parent, just some of your stories I know you have a few, but just some of your stories that were the most memorable now looking back on Connor, but talk about just thriving emotionally, how that helped you get through and how you're using those words today to help other people that are maybe going through this and and also wrote about in your book.
1: I think luckily Connor was a great example. Like I learned from him. He was the best example of learning. He knew how to dance in the ring. Like no matter what the circumstance, he would find a way to have fun. You know, he would always look at it in a positive way. Some friends of ours, her husband was diagnosed with brain cancer. And in in the beginning, it was pretty easy. They weren't doing treatment. I mean, easy for brain cancer. They just weren't doing treatment yet. And she kept like kind of being tense and just like, oh, when's the treatment going to start? When's it going to start growing? And I'm like, oh, you got to enjoy it when it's just a little sprinkle on your head because storms are coming. You know, you've got to learn to do that. And I think have great examples of Connor doing that. He would go to the hospital, dress up in his superhero costumes, and he would come <laughs> in the hospital and we would play games. And, and on the floor, you know, they have those tiles, they're gray and white tiles. And he's like, the gray tiles are the hot lava, mom. So I have to jump around and I can't hit the hot lava. And, you know, he's always making games. We had a game when we'd be waiting downstairs for his scans. It was always so cold waiting in uh, the waiting area to go in and do a CAT scan. So we'd have blankets with us. So we'd have a game where he'd put the blanket over him. And if there was a body part sticking out and McKinsey would get under the blanket with him, my daughter, and then Carson, if a body part was sticking out, I would tickle it. And then he's <laughs> laughing. And so he always made games out of everything. I had friends that would come up when he'd be in the hospital and she'd bring board games and he'd play board games and he would, you know, I get frustrated with my kids now because They'll be like, oh, I'm just tired to go to practice. I don't want to go to practice or I'm this or I'm that. And Connor would literally leave the hospital and go to baseball practice. And the kid would, you know, run around the field and he'd go in the back corner and puke. And then he would come back in and finish because he just wanted to live life. He's like, I'm not letting this get me down. He would have be on low blood. He needed a blood transfusion and I wouldn't know it because he wouldn't act any differently. I mean, if an adult had a low blood count, we'd be on the couch and we wouldn't move, (laughs) you know, but he was like, well, I don't care if I don't feel good. I want to go play. I want to go on the playground. I want to play baseball. I want to be like those other kids. And he would just continue to play. And probably the best example to me was, I think it was like six weeks before he passed away and his baseball team was playing a game and The poor kid had lost. He had a second cancer by then. He ended up getting a second cancer caused by the radiation. But he just, he lost so much weight. And so he had his pants up and he had to hold it when he ran. But he hit the ball. He's playing in this game. He hit the ball and he, and it it could be the RBI that wins the game, but he's got to get the first base if they call him out because it was two outs. He literally holding his pants up to his waist, running as fast as those little legs could. And he gets to first base. We score, and he got the game ball because he hit the RBI that won the game. (laughs) What an
0: awesome memory for you guys.
1: Yes. Six weeks from passing away. I mean, the cancer was, you know, all over. And he just, that is the resilience. That is the spirit of Connor. And so that's why I get frustrated with my own kids. Like, you're not having a bad day. (laughs) You know, if Connor can get up with cancer in his body, and he can go practice. He can go play a game. You guys have no excuse. You know, my kids probably think I'm so hard on them. But so because of him, we started Team Connor Childhood Cancer Foundation. and We raised money for research. But not only did we see these kids battling, but we learned so many facts about childhood cancer. You know, like when, when he was diagnosed, one in 330 kids in the U.S. will be diagnosed with cancer by the age of 20. Now it's one in 285. So the cases of diagnosis are getting more and more each year. It's increasing. And there is uh, about 700 new kids are diagnosed every day. Wow. And and the fact is about 250 kids will die from cancer also. But the the government only gives 3% of their funds for cancer research. Only 3% of it goes to childhood cancer research. And because of that, they In the last 20 years, they've only developed one to two new drugs specifically for childhood cancer. So what they do is they take a drug that works for an adult and, okay, let's see if it works for a child. And then we got to figure out what dose we can give them because they're, they weigh less and maybe they can't tolerate as well. And so they're kind of just hitting in the dark. And about two thirds of the kids that have been treated for cancer have long lasting chronic conditions or have like Connor, a terminal illness, you know, they get another cancer from it. And so they're just, it's a really sad state of where childhood cancer research is. And I know a lot of it is because drug companies, I mean, let's face it, there's more adults that have cancer. And so if you're going to put out a drug where you can get, you know, a million patients versus a drug that there's like 200,000 patients, well, they're going to do the one with a million patients. And so it's just not lucrative. And so the research isn't there. And I've heard so many researchers say, "Man, but you know, childhood cancer is the purest form." And we could—I mean, the research we gain from that is amazing. But it's just the funding isn't there, which is so frustrating. Connor would say, "If we can put a man on the moon, why can't we find a cure for cancer?"
0: (laughs) I hate to ask, Joy, but I think it could mean a lot for people out there who might go through this. And if we can learn from that, then we'd be grateful to you. Tell me about the diagnosis of the second cancer and just what that was like for you guys.
1: He had um, done a a blood test and his red blood count was low and they didn't know why. And so they run tests and eventually we found out that the tumor that was in his abdomen, they had debulked it a year after he was diagnosed, but they couldn't get it all out. So there was some left behind, but they had done radiation to that tumor. So at the time they thought that tumor was growing again. They thought it was neuroblastoma but it didn't look like neuroblastoma under the microscope. So then we had to do another surgery, and it was actually, they found out it was a second cancer that was caused by radiation. There were, I think they said, 20 cases in the world where a neuroblastoma patient gets this second cancer, it's malignant peripheral nerve-seed cancer, from the radiation to the tumor. It's something about that, like you said, those cells in that tumor are already morphed and, you know, crazy. And then you put radiation on it. And a doctor friend of ours said, you know, cancer is like a monster, but cancer created by radiation is like a monster on steroids. And I would agree with that. With the first cancer, we were having success. And in fact, when they took the new cancer out, it had grown into his old tumor, And so they biopsied both and said, you know, being that it grew into that old tumor is more proof that it was necrotic, it was dead, the neuroblastoma was dead. And all the tissue they pulled out that was neuroblastoma mixed in there was necrotic cells. We did a lot of holistic things in conjunction with uh, the conventional medicine, and it just really helped Connor thrive. And it really helped the treatment to work better. It helped his immune system to work better. He wasn't sick between rounds of chemotherapy. But when he got the second cancer, nothing helped. It was like hitting a brick wall. Like all the things we'd had success with, like nothing touched that sucker. Wow. And it was like, it's like hitting the lottery, you know, the worst lottery ever. You know, two cancers under the age of eight.
0: Yeah, so and he, how long did he deal with that one once you guys figured out that there was indeed another cancer growing there?
1: So probably about seven months. We we found out in December about the new tumor, and then he passed away in July, July 9th. So like six and a half. I don't know. Your mind is kind of reeling because you're thinking there's, I mean, another nightmare. And he, like I said, his attitude was crazy good. I, when I found out that um, they couldn't get all the second cancer and there's no agents out there that kill that cancer, you have to remove it surgically because chemo doesn't work on it. So I knew when they couldn't get it all out that we were in trouble.
0: So that type, I mean, that's kind of when you knew, I'm guessing, is whenever they couldn't get it all out. And I'm assuming that because it was right there in that that prime real estate area that you mentioned that they just couldn't go in there and just stick around and get it out. Is that right?
1: Yeah, the chemo didn't work and didn't work. And then sometimes they said radiation might help, but he'd already had kind of a lifetime limit of radiation to begin with. For the neuroblastoma, So that was off the table.
0: Oh, there's a lifetime limit. I didn't even know that.
1: Mm -hmm. You get to a certain point and they won't let you have more radiation.
0: Oh, wow. I had no idea.
1: Yeah. I mean, actually, at that point, I'm kind of thinking, why does it matter? You know? Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, I'm just thinking as a parent, if they come back to me and go, hey, sorry, you know, there's nothing we can do about this other type of cancer. And we just couldn't get it all out. I'm like, no, you you better go in there and get that cancer out. So
1: roller coaster, because when they, when the doctor, the surgeon When he did the second surgery, he said, I got all of the new cancer out and I even got into some of that old tumor, the neuroblastoma tumor. So we're thinking it's good, right? Because you got all the new tumor out. But then when the pathology came back, she's like going, well, that new cancer was growing into that old tumor that can't be resected. And so, you know, we're doing a happy dance for a little bit and then they bring that news and then you're like, okay, we're in trouble now.
0: Uh, And I mean, it's not like y'all been just going through this for a few days. It's been three and a half years from what it sounds like at that point only to get that news. Yes. So Joy, you're talking about chemotherapy. You're talking about radiation. You're talking about things that those things can help with and can't help with. I'm sure just in the mix of all of this, the doctors are also giving you guys some functional or holistic ways maybe that you can do some things on your own. I know he was in the hospital for 30 days at a time, as you mentioned, but what are they telling you guys to do outside of that on your own? Or did you guys even maybe seek out some other ways to try to help with what was going on at that time?
1: Yeah, we did try to seek out just some holistic things to go along with the conventional. I had spoken with a doctor and he made a lot of sense to me. He said, if Connor is having... If all of his systems aren't working well, like digestive and respiratory and all these things, his energy is all going to be spent on taking care of that and making his systems work correctly. And if that's the case, he won't have any energy left over to fight the cancer. He said, my job is to look at Connor as a whole person. Oncologists look at Connor, looked at Connor like he's a cancer patient. So they only look at how he's dealing with the cancer and what his red blood count, white blood count, platelets look like after each round of chemotherapy but they never looked at him as a whole patient. And so we would seek out um, additional help and it wasn't crazy stuff that they were saying. It was just simple like supplements or easy things, but things that would boost his immune system. And most children in between each round of chemotherapy end up in the hospital in between with an infection because their white counts low and they're getting sick. Connor, never in the hospital in between rounds of chemotherapy we were giving him things to boost his immune system it was called ambertos from manatech and it doesn't create white blood cells but it helps your immune system communicate better with each other so what little white blood cells he had were working very well together and you can't you can't argue with those facts and then when he went into the um bone marrow transplant unit usually these kids get mouth sores because of the chemotherapy and they have to be on morphine because it's so painful Connor had two bone marrow transplants and he never had one mouth sore. And the nurse in there said, in my 11 years working in the transplant unit, I've never seen a kid not get mouth sores. And I mean, there were other things too, when we found out his bilirubin was off, we did some holistic things that helped boost like his red blood cell count and helped, you know, whenever your red blood count, when your red blood cells die, they, they get excreted through your body, but his filtering system, like his liver and pancreas and all those things were blocked. So we just right. did things to filter that out. I mean, all these things are easy. And I looked at myself and said, you know what, if I'm every time Connor went in for chemotherapy or radiation, I had to sign a waiver saying I understand the risks that come with it. So if I'm signing off and then putting poison in his body, why would I not go out and try to put something good in to make him as strong as possible, you know, to fight this? And so that was our whole goal. We, we took Connor and we did things that just helped strengthen him, help his immune system, help help strengthen him after each round of chemotherapy so he would rebound faster. So he would have, have enjoy himself in between. You know, he might feel crummy in the hospital, but he'd get out and he'd rebound faster.
0: And you may know better than I do, but it just seems to me like, you know, we hear the stories as adults of just big pharma and it's, you know, it's trying to not necessarily cure what's going on as much as it is just to keep you, you know, to keep you well once things are found out. So it's like, instead of curing them from the beginning, it's just like, well, now we're going to develop things that once you get it, then we can try to figure out what to do with it at that point. We hear about that as adults, but I'm thinking for childhood cancer, I don't know, and I'm not a doctor, right? So I don't want to misspeak here, but I would just think that if there are things out there, whether it's holistically, whether it's any other type of path you could go down, people would be telling you guys that even within the hospital. You know, you said the oncologist is concerned about what the cancer's doing and viewing him as a cancer patients. So they're just looking at the cancer things, but it seems like they're wise people. They've got to know about some of these other things that are out there that could help in between those visits or even after the mouth sores or things like that. I'm just wondering why none of that is being discussed with you guys during this time, because from what I know is in our conversations, you had to go seek out a lot of that on your own and luckily found some of the right people that could lead you in that direction.
1: Yeah. And that's what was so frustrating is they never had conversations about that. They didn't I mean, they have nutritionists in the hospital, but I wasn't talking to a nutritionist there. And, you know, and I saw that movie, Super Size Me, where that guy ate, I think, for 30 days in a row, all that food from McDonald's and nothing else. And he was in perfect health, and then all of a sudden his health was horrible. So I watched that when Connor was sick, and I thought, if if food can make your body so weak and sick, if you eat good food, how much can it help strengthen you? And there's all kinds of—we did, like— immune system or immune boosting foods and fruits and things like that. But yeah, no nutritionist talked to us. I had to go seek that on my own. And it, it really is a shame. And I don't think it's unique to the childhood cancer world. I think the whole cancer world, they just focus, the oncologists focus on you as a cancer patient. But I do find that a lot of my friends, they're going out seeking some holistic things and I'm not saying don't do conventional. I'm not saying that. Do not get that from me. Do conventional, but find things that help you to thrive while you have cancer. You know, Yeah, help do you. everything you can. Yes. I mean, we even found a naturopath, and he was so knowledgeable about all the chemotherapy that Connor was taking. He would say, well, this chemotherapy, your body gets used to it. And so the cancer cells start to recognize it, and they'll change. And so you take this supplement and they won't recognize it or, you know, and I showed it to the doctors that oncologists like, yeah, that makes sense. Go ahead, take it. Or there are certain markers that neuroblastoma had. And so I would get Connor's blood tested and we'd have a phone conversation and he'd say, take these supplements, because if these markers start to rise, it's an environment for the neuroblastoma to grow. So we'll jump these markers to stay low. So I did that and those markers stayed low and so when we found that new tumor he said I'm 99% sure that is not neuroblastoma that has to be some other cancer because based on your markers and your blood it's it, it can't be nerve and he was right it's not neuroblastoma. So there's just so many things out there that cancer patients can use to help fight their you know their battle against cancer. Um I would just encourage anybody to go out there and research different ways. And anybody can reach out to me. I would gladly share any of the information that we use.
0: Yeah. And we're going to link everything up in the show notes here as far as how to get in touch with you and Team Connor and all of that. Joy, can you tell us some of the things? I know you said you mentioned that we tried things to get his red blood cell count up and those sort of things. Is there anything that you can share with us for people out there that might be hearing this for the first time that have been searching and just haven't found that information yet that you guys were able to find?
1: Yeah. And for the red blood count, that was really simple. After each round of chemotherapy, Connor had a hard time to get his red blood count to rebound. His bone marrow was really sluggish because this was after he'd had two bone marrow transplants. And after your, you know, your bone marrow has been hit by so much chemotherapy, it does get sluggish and it's not producing quickly. And see, this is the thing that was crazy. The doctor said, based on some conversation, he goes, I bet his bilirubin is off and I bet his liver and pancreas, I bet it's not working well." And so sure enough, I had the piece of paper that the doctor had printed out at Children's Medical Center, and I handed it to him, and the bilirubin was off. It was high. And, but that doctor, that oncologist, had never pointed that out to me. But all he told me to do, he goes, we just need to flush that out because, if, you know, your bone marrow is like a pipeline. If it's, if it's clogged on the bottom because you're not flushing it out of your system, it's not going to produce new ones. So we got to get that filtered out. All Connor did is we took pectin, which is what they make jelly. We added it to water, and then he would drink eight ounces of this water pectin mix every day. And so a week later, we go into the hospital. He's been taking this for a week. He just took eight ounces a day. And we went into the doctor appointment, and sure enough, bilirubin was normal, and his red blood count was back to normal. I mean, that's so simple, but it works. I mean, it worked every time. He didn't have a problem after that again.
0: So you had mentioned something else that you guys had used from, I believe, a company called Manatech. What was it that you guys found and how did that work for Connor?
1: Well, so we were specifically looking for any kind of supplement that would help boost his immune system because we knew it was going to get attacked really hard by the chemotherapy. And so there was a company here in Texas called Manatech, and they have a product called Ambertose. And actually, Ben Carson, the doctor, Dr. Ben Carson, who ran for president, he was written up in their paper, written up in their newsletter, whatever, that he had, I forget which kind of cancer, prostate cancer, and he used Manatec, and he used Ambritose and he highly favored it, and so the science behind it and how it worked, so we had read all that stuff, and we had known of Ben Carson even back then because he had spoken to our organization, so we thought we would give it a try, and Ambritose, again, all it is is it helps your immune system communicate better with each other. So we knew if he's not going to have many white blood cells, let's make sure that the ones that do communicate, (laughs) communicate well. And that was the one product that Connor used from the very beginning. Some of the other things we did later on, but that was the thing that he had during the bone marrow transplant. And it was a great thing. It really worked for him again until the second cancer with the radiation was just that cancer didn't respond to anything.
0: Wow. Well, I'm sure there's people going through this out there right now that could definitely use your guidance on that. So we're going to link everything up as we get ready to wrap up the podcast here. Joy, I would just love to know what you want to tell parents out there or even I know we've talked mainly about childhood cancer because of Connor and your role with him as his parent. But what would you want to tell parents of children or even adults out there that are going through some journey like this? Everyone's going to be a little different some on the front end, some on the back end. But what do people need to know outside of maybe what we've already mentioned, especially when it comes to parents that are watching their children enter this or have been in this for a while that maybe you wish you knew back then as you look back on it?
1: So if I had advice for two sets of people, one would be, like you said, a parent whose child is just entering into this. And I would say seek support, not only on your friends and family and asking for that, Seek support, look for things to help strengthen your child's battle, help do things to help strengthen him emotionally. Like I said, try to do as many normal things as possible. I know this is your new normal and your world has totally been turned upside down, but try to make things as normal for him as possible and just continue to dance in the rain and try to make things fun for him when he's at the hospital, him or her, and things like that. And And I would also say there are organizations out there, childhood cancer organizations, that can help you. If you're in Texas, Team Connor is glad to help, but they're all across the country for um, family support. There might be knowledge. uh, There might be an organization that funds research, and they might know a clinical trial out there that's brand new that might benefit your child. So I would definitely just seek information, seek information, seek help, and I would definitely do that. And then for the, for the parent who, you know, doesn't have a child with cancer and just wonders, well, what can I do? Maybe you think it doesn't impact you, but I guarantee, you know, your child knows somebody who has cancer. You have a friend whose child has cancer. It will impact everybody. And it's like, once you meet one, then it's kind of like, you know, another, and then you meet another and you meet another. And we have to do something to help these kids. We can't stand by anymore and just feel sorry for them or feel sad. I would encourage you, again, Team Connor, we fund research. There are other childhood cancer organizations out there also that fund research. It's just something that it's just a shame that these kids are fighting so hard and so many adults aren't getting behind them and doing what they can to help. There's so much that can be done to help these kids. I love it that the direction that all cancer research is going in is immune therapy, vaccine therapy, things with treatments that have less toxic side effects for these kids. There's just so much better things we can do for kids. I would just pray and hope that people listening to this would think, well, what can I do? You know, if my child has cancer, these are things that I can do. If my child doesn't have cancer, I can still do things to help. There's so much work that can be done, and we're making progress, but we just need more support from people like you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know just anything that I've heard about childhood cancer, and I'm not even as much in the know as most, as many people out there maybe, but I just always hear how underfunded it is, which really blows my mind because of so many children that get it out there. You would just think that these poor kids, you know, you think there would be more money going toward that sort of thing because they are so helpless. I guess we all are, you know, as adults too, but just helpless and just not able to really know how to cope with that and do those sort of things. And you just think more money would be going to that. And as you said, you know, every day, 250 kids around the world will die of cancer, 91,000 kids per year around the world. And it's not just one disease. It's made up of dozens of types and countless subtypes. And the research is just not there. The money's not there. The funding is not there. So Joy, thank you so much for your time. I know that you are just such a spokesperson for this after going through it and living through it as a mom, but just so much that people can learn from you. Talk to us a little bit about your book as we wrap up. What is the main idea for someone that picks up that book? What was the vision behind that, that you wanted the message you wanted to send to people besides just Connor's story and dealing with the cancer? I know that, you know, there's so many more stories that are in there. What was your main objective there behind your writing?
1: Well, I mean, the main thing was just to offer encouragement. Before Connor passed away, a friend of mine was like, hey, if you ever want to write a book, she's a ghostwriter. She's like, I would love to help you. And when Connor passed away, I thought, well, that's kind of a sad story. Who would want to read that um, since he passed away? But what I found is we all face something where we pray and we hope that we don't have to go down that way. But for whatever reason, God doesn't rescue us from facing that. And that's what happened with Connor. And I just wanted to encourage people, you know, where do you go with that? Where do you go with loss? It doesn't have to be losing a child. It could be maybe you lost your sister. Maybe you lost a spouse or a mother or maybe the loss of health. You know, maybe your child, a friend of mine, her son was diagnosed with this rare disease and she'll never have a healthy child. We all deal with loss. And really, Connor's story, it, it does talk, go through Connor's story. But then it also, I shared what we learned through the whole process. And the things that helped me get through each stage of cancer and the things that helped me go through the loss of Connor, that's what I shared in the book. And I know a lot of people that are dealing with loss on their own, it was helpful for them. Um, And it's it's written a little bit like a devotional too. There are Bible verses, um, ones that helped me during all of it. And so that was my goal that when people experience loss and it would be an encouragement to them. And I will say when Somebody read somebody something I read and they said, you know what? I felt that exact same thing when I had six miscarriages and I could never have a healthy pregnancy and healthy child, but I couldn't put words to it. But putting words to it is to make the unknown known. It makes them right. connect with somebody else and go, oh my gosh, I know exactly how I feel. That's exactly what it is. Somebody else knows how, I'm, how I feel. I'm not alone. And sometimes just, Reading something that you can relate to, you're like, oh, that's exactly, it, it encourages you, you know, it makes you feel like you're not alone.
0: Right. Tell us where we can steer our listeners toward to find out more about the Team Connor organization and your book. I want to link all of that up on my website, but where should we go to find out more about those things?
1: You can find all of it on uh, www.teamconnor.org and it's C-O-N-N-O-R. And you can find information on Hope Transformed on the website, any information about Team Connor, childhood cancer facts, ways you can help, anything like that. And if you know somebody who has childhood cancer and they need family support, we can also help somebody who needs that. So there's a lot of resources on um, teamconnor.org.
0: And I believe you have it on Amazon as well. Is that right?
1: Correct. Yes, it's on Amazon. Great.
0: Right. Joy, thank you so much. You've just taught us so much here today and i know there's going to be so many people out there that gravitate toward your message and that's why i wanted to get you on the podcast to make sure that we could get connor's story out worldwide for people who are not only dealing with this but might deal with this at some point one day just to have hope and hopefully have that hope transformed as you mentioned as the title of your book there and just get more education out about childhood cancer as a parent myself now i mean i just can't even imagine just what that looks like. You mentioned a second ago, your new normal. And just to even say that and picture and imagine what you guys were going through is just hard for me to get my mind wrapped around. But again, the kids take cues from the parents. And I know you guys did just a champion job from everything that I've heard, not only from Tate, but mostly from other people about how you guys handled that situation. And uh, just so grateful for that and for your message. And we'll try to steer as much people toward this as we can in order to get the message out.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much, Joy. Take care. Thanks, Jared. Guys, as I mentioned before, I was so privileged to have Joy Cruz on the podcast and to know the Cruz family personally. I hope with all the noise out there in the world that this podcast does not just fall by the wayside as you move on about your busy life and that you will take the time to grab a copy of Joy's book and learn more about what you can do through Team Connor. Again, that's Team Connor and Connor is spelled C-O-N-N-O-R, teamconnor.org. You can pick up Joy's book there or on Amazon under the title of Hope Transformed. And I would love to hear your comments and thoughts on this episode after listening in. And you can contact me directly at info at success101podcast.com or on social media under the Success 101 Podcast Facebook page. I am so grateful for being able to bring this message to you guys today and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Success 101
1: Podcast.